Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts from top marketers and CEOs to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. This week's show is a chat with Michael Yank. Michael is a story editor at the amazing DreamWorks Animation Studio that has brought us such modern day classics as Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, Madagascar and How to Train Your Dragon. We discuss both animation and live action, the importance of collaboration, the story circle approach to narrative storytelling and tips to deal with writer's block. Michael is really entertaining. He's full of great insight, and I think you're going to get a lot from what he's got to say. Enjoy this chat with Michael Yank. Well, hello and welcome to another show, everyone. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, very exciting. Yeah, well, it's not often we get a story editor um, on the show from from DreamWorks, so so I'm excited to to get into um, what it means to be a story editor at DreamWorks. But can I ask you to start? by giving us a little bit of background on, on how your career um, led you to become a, a story editor and, and working for DreamWorks. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, I've been out uh, here in uh, Los Angeles uh, for about 15 years or so. I started off as an assistant and sort of worked my way up to be a uh, staff writer for a couple of different shows, a couple of different networks. I uh, Worked in live action and animation, but uh, especially enjoy writing for animation and was a staff writer for uh, Disney where I met uh, a guy who uh, later went on to work for DreamWorks and he brought me along to uh, be the story editor for a show that he was running. Um, The story editor is basically uh, a term for like the supervising writer of a scripted animated show. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. So... um so you've done both live action and animation. Is, uh, is, that's correct. Is there is there a distinct difference, or is it sort of with from a writing point of view? Is it is it pretty similar? Uh, there are definitely similarities. You're still focusing on characters, and uh, story structures are similar, and the plots. With animation, you're definitely focusing on a few different things. Uh, as far as uh, the visual element is very important, you have to make sure that. Things aren't too static and talky that you have, uh, especially for comedy, a lot of visual gags. Uh, There's also uh, the production element is very different in that when we write a script, it's not going to appear uh, on TV for a long period of time, like a year or so. So that gives you a lot of time to sort of drive yourself crazy, rewriting and rewriting until it's uh, as perfect as it can be. (laughs) Right. I guess um, in terms of like story and sort of, generating emotion with the audience and engagement and connection like my first sort of reaction is um it'd be harder to do that with animation um, because i guess with live action you've got real people who have got real emotions and all the rest of it but is that the case or you know like most things in in life or certainly my assumptions it's usually the completely opposite uh well there are definitely different approaches that you would use but i tend to feel like uh in animation a lot of uh, the design will have a big impact on that. If it's a design that everyone can sort of universally project their own emotions onto, then it will be easier 
um, than a sort of more specific, complicated design. But it definitely is a different challenge because you don't have just a person. You have a more abstracted idea. But um, at the end of the day, I sort of feel like stories are stories. And if you uh, have all the pieces in place, you can still elicit the uh, responses that you want from an audience. Yeah, okay. Okay, I guess. Um, and and are, you, are you sort of talking about fundamental story structure there or just sort of ingredients that you would always use regardless i mean what what's your process when you're approaching um the framework of a story um so for the uh shows that i have worked for that i uh, have found to be most successful there is a, a particular formula that um some of my friends and i have stumbled upon that uh, we like to use I'll preface this by saying that there are lots of ways to skin a cat. You know, I respect the fact that in TV and especially animation, there's a lot of room for different types of narrative storytelling. There's no, like, right way that you have to do things. Uh, but that said, you know, there is kind of a right way that uh, I like um, that, you know, if you have certain elements in place, it'll make the story more effective and satisfying when you get to an end. Okay. Um, so uh, the... My boss and some of my coworkers and I uh, have found this idea that's inspired by uh, the story circle, which has been developed and popularized by Dan Harmon, okay. who created an American sitcom called Community and co-created this animated show, Rick and Morty, which I'm a big fan of. The story, it's basically like the story circle. This, yeah, the story circle. Um, we use sort of a bastardized version of it, but if you Google Dan Harmon's story circle, you'll find a ton of discussion about it. Okay. Um, and it's basically like a roadmap template to help make sure that your story has enough distinct turns and you're tracking the main character's emotional journey in a way that's coherent and satisfying. And the, the general idea is you map out your story on a circle, like a clock with four distinct quadrants, and each quadrant has a particular job it has to do. Um, so in your first quadrant, you make it clear which emotional aspect of the main character or characters you're going to highlight in this particular episode and have some sort of inciting incident that sets up their journey. Uh -huh. um, and the more specific and clear this aspect is, the better. Uh, then the second quadrant, you kind of have the fun and games of this idea where the character embraces, explore this, explores this new situation that they're in. And this is the, usually the funnest and easiest part to figure out. You basically just deliver on the promise of the premise. So like right now I'm writing an episode about a character who enters like an international origami competition in Acapulco. And uh, that's cool. the quadrant where I'll put in all my like awesome, hilarious origami set pieces and jokes. Um, and can, can, you you give us an, can you give us an example of an origami uh, joke? Um, I wish I was further along on the script and could present you with some, <laughs> but I'm still uh, sort of square one on that particular one. Um, that's uh, that's just I guess you've just created anticipation that we'll just have to wait. Is this is this the? Um, I guess you can't say too much about this project that you're working on at the moment, and this is for. Uh, it's for Netflix, is that right? Uh, that's correct, yeah. I'm working on a show uh, right now that has not been announced, so if I uh, told you its name or anything about it, I'm pretty sure I'd get in big trouble, probably <laughs> in jail. Um, so that's, uh, let's, that's, that's let's, let's just stick with um, Quadrant 2, I think we, <laughs> we were right, on before right. I rudely interrupted you. 
<laughs> no, 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 of course. Uh, so yeah, the second quadrant, you sort of explore the idea, and then at the midpoint, the six o'clock, the character has some sort of big victory uh, that ends up being a false victory. Usually at this point, they're kind of the farthest away from the lesson they'll ultimately learn at the end. Mm -hmm. Then uh, in the third quadrant, the stakes are raised. Any bad decisions the characters have made will catch up with them. And then in the fourth quadrant, you build to some sort of climax where the events that have transpired cause the main character to learn their emotional lesson, and uh, that enables them to prevail in whatever crisis is set up. Wow. Um, yeah, so for animation, like it's very helpful to have um, sort of a template since we're, our orders are very large. Like We have to write uh, over 100 episodes uh, for this particular show. Wow, 100 and episodes? Yeah, 111 minute episodes. Maybe more if we get picked up. We'll see. Um, but, you know, and we have to turn around a script every week. So it's helpful to have a reliable system where we can turn and say, well, if we organize the story this way, I know there's a good chance uh, the episode will end up working. Wow. So, sorry, you said 100 episodes. Is it, and they're one minute episodes, did you say? Uh, I'm sorry, 11. 11 minute episodes. Jesus, that's a lot of writing. How, how do you. Yeah. How do you approach writing? Because obviously you've got to write creatively, you've got to be funny and dynamic, but you've got to do it under pressure at, at scale. So what's that like? Uh, well, I mean, luckily we have a really good team in place. We have uh, a couple of staff writers who do an amazing job, and um, my boss, the executive producer, I, I think the world of is he's really talented, and it's very collaborative, and we rely on each other to help figure out each other's stories and uh, plus any jokes. Uh, so I would say that if I had to do it all myself, it would be a Herculean task. Um, it's still pretty Herculean, but perhaps a little less so, um, being able to rely on such uh, talented people. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's a, I, I guess, the dynamic of a, of a team, finding a rhythm and working together and all the rest of it is, is really important. Is there, is there any distinct difference that you've noticed between um, the teamwork and dynamic you've got at DreamWorks versus, say, when you were at Disney? Uh, pitting two companies against each other, that's going to get me into trouble. <laughs> um, no, I, I would say that in my experience, it really comes down to the leadership style of the person who's running the show. Um, different uh, bosses I've had approach things differently, and uh, I've just found that the more open to new ideas and more collaborative um, the any particular showrunner is, uh, the more um, successful the final product ends up being. Okay, that was. I feel like that was a political response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not, nothing about DreamWorks or Disney or Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network specifically. Just it is, in my experience, at least, less of a uh, sort of corporate issue and more of the specific people that you're working with at whatever project you're on. Yeah, no, that 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 makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense, and it it sounds like you work with um, with a team under pressure to produce a lot of comedy and they say comedy is probably the hardest thing thing to write is there any sort of structure or formula that uh, you fall back on when it when it comes to s setting up a joke or creating creating comedy and trying to get laughs oh that's a, a very profound question um <laughs> i wish i had a very uh, strong answer for you i i feel like 
in my case, a lot of it has just come down to instinct. Um, when I was in college, I uh, was trying to get onto this humor magazine that they had, and they had a very, um, very intense process for applications, and they wouldn't let very many people on. And you sort of would write all these different comedy pieces and bring them to like an office hours and they would give you notes on it. And uh, I found that the experience of just being forced to generate a lot of material um, and figure out what works and what doesn't work was the best way for me to hone my own instincts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at a certain point, uh, in my experience, it's boiled down to just if I need to generate a joke, I'm kind of... I can try to look up different ways to approach it, but at, at the end of the day, I just need something to pop into my head. And uh, the the more experience I've had writing, the easier that's become. Yeah, I guess it's just sort of like flexing the the muscle of doing, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great uh, um, analogy. So, so you must have had uh, writer's block or days that just don't seem to be chiming what what do you do in those situations where you just need to you know try and shake things up and get things moving because everyone everyone has those days right but i guess when you're under pressure all the time you can't really afford to have off days by the sounds of it anyway uh no um (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, that's definitely something that comes up I try to just step away from the problem, uh, go for a walk. Uh, if I'm trying to generate ideas, I might uh, just search for random uh, things on the internet to just to try to get, you know, the the car that is my brain started. Um, I personally will enjoy going to uh, Wikipedia, and they'll have a button that you can press that will just take you to a random page, and that will. <laughs> You know, I'll keep doing that until it sparks something that can take me somewhere. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an issue where some days you have it and some days you don't. And the days that you don't, you just kind of have to force yourself and uh, drink some coffee and uh, keep plugging away until uh, you have what you need. <laughs> Absolutely. I, well, it sounds like, yeah, it's, it sounds like my week, really. But um <laughs> <laughs> So who um, who inspires you, Michael? Who do you look at and think, Christ, they're, they're a fabulous writer or, you know, somebody that sort of just inspires you from a, just a, a more abstract creative point of view? Um, I definitely have uh, a lot of the sort of golden age of Pixar uh, writers and directors at the top of my pantheon. I think um, they just had this run you know, starting with Toy Story that is just uh, astounding, just film after film, where um, much like writing for uh, DreamWorks TV show, they are able to uh, find jokes that and story ideas that appeal to kids and adults. Um, and I think they've described it as they're not writing for kids, they're just writing things that don't exclude kids. Um, and I, I find that the way that they are able to weave, uh, these narratives and, uh, create these characters are, you know, very inspiring to me, uh, creatively. Yeah. I think uh, Pixar, you know, everyone's going to agree that absolute groundbreaking from, from Toy Story, they just seem to have a string of home runs, Mm -hmm. you know, and I heard somebody describe, 
um, or just sum up all of their movies. And it's kind of like, what if a toy had feelings? Then mm-hmm. what if a fish had feelings? What if a car had feelings? Right, right the way up to what if feelings had feelings? <laughs> you know, with, uh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, I was like, wow, okay, Chris, I, I was really interested to see, you know, okay, what are they going to do from here, you know? Um, but, That's brilliant. Yeah, and from what I understand, a lot of that has come from just spending a lot of time on revising and rewriting. Uh, I think on the Toy Story, Toy Story DVD, you, you can see in the special features some of the earlier uh, animatics, um, you know, earlier drafts of the movie, where things weren't quite working as well, and you can just tell that they, you know, honed it and honed it and revised it until they they got it totally humming. Yeah, which I mean, is sort of a luxury that you have in animation that you don't always have in uh, live action uh, movies where you kind of have your window to shoot and you get the footage you need and you can get some reshoots. But with animation, you have just, you know, if you if the budget allows, you have the, the freedom to just keep uh, tinkering and fighting new jokes and uh, moments. Yeah, just re- refining it and refining it. And I guess I guess that could be a good thing and a bad thing, really, because at some point you just need to to move it on but i mean they've made it look so easy but um yeah under the under the under the hood or you know behind the curtain it's just looks like bloody hard work and just perfectionism right yeah absolutely and it's also impressive the uh on the technical side the the way that they're able to generate these images and these stories that uh demand these images are and, and sort of marry the two is um just unbelievable so so, Michael, back to you. Um, how do you make a story more engaging? Um, you know, because a lot of people I talk to on this show, you know, we talk about empathy and vulnerability and all of this sort of trying to evoke emotion. Um, yeah, that seems to be the big thing that you know people sort of struggle with the most. What's what's your secret or your ingredient to um, to achieving that? Uh, well, I definitely try to root every story in something that's uh, somewhat relatable. You know, even if on a cartoon we go someplace kind of fantastical, if uh, the story originates from, you know, the idea that, say, you know, one character is jealous that their friend is spending time with their new friends, you know, that's an experience that's universal, so hopefully uh, the viewer will connect to it. So, like, for example, I wrote one episode for this uh, Disney cartoon called uh, Star vs. the Forces of Evil, um, which is a show full of magic and everything. And, you know, there's one character who's having trouble getting the courage to talk to a girl he likes. And, you know, it's the same thing he goes through day after day where you're like, oh, right, this is the day I'm going to talk to her. And he just can never muster the, the energy to do it. And uh, then in the story, he ends up on some magical adventure that takes him to this fantastical plane of times, or I, I forget exactly, um, that, you know, this world that exists outside of time. And he's able to observe on all these high-tech monitors every moment of his life to this point. And he sort of is confronted with all these images of his missed opportunities that he's had to talk to this girl. And then this sort of causes him to learn and grow. And at the end of the episode, he makes steps to, like, talk to her. So um, I would say that's sort of an example of, like, everyone, if you know, not talking to a girl has probably experienced something that they're just struggling to find the courage to do. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess regardless of how fantastical the the setting and how exaggerated the the situation, basically there's a sort of fundamental 
universal truth that everyone can identify with is you know is, is essentially is essentially what's happening with that character in that story right right or at least that was the hope <laughs> yeah. um, and uh <laughs> i also say you know along those lines um i try to draw from uh, personal experiences as much as possible you know things that happened to me or my friends uh when we were kids or adults uh i found that there's just a level of honesty that you can get there you know especially if it's something kind of outlandish you know i've definitely mined a lot of uh material from my weirder friends growing up um <laughs> and sort of you know on a personal note when i was breaking into the industry i found i started to gain a lot more traction when my script started to incorporate characters that you know talk the way that i talk with my friends and make the sort of jokes that i make with my friends i think as a viewer or a reader you can just tell when something feels like overly written if that makes any sense yeah no absolutely it's got to come across natural well it's got to be believable at the end of the day i guess um no exactly absolutely so do you know when you're doing this michael something that i struggle with when i when i write um because i'm a terrible writer (laughs) probably um (laughs) i i always struggle to write something um that's concise i find it easier to write something and it, it comes out and it's it's just really long and you know it how how do you go about making something more concise and keeping the magic of of what you've you've written? Um, that's a very good question. Um, you know, as they say, brevity is the soul of wit. So, <laughs> um, uh, there's that expression, "kill your darlings." Uh, you just have to be willing to, if you, if you have a sentence or a joke that you really like, you have to you know bow to the greater god of the story, and if it isn't something that's needed. Uh, you have to be willing to let it go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we definitely come across that a lot from, you know, the script level where we have scripts that are too long to, we, we've cut the whole episode together and it's too long. Um, I guess my advice would be to just look at every, uh, line or sentence on an individual level and say, if I remove this, would the whole thing fall apart? And if the answer is no, then it's probably something that you can uh, lose. Wow, that sounds that sounds brutal, but obviously I can see how that would work. I mean, does that mean that you have um, you'd put that in a bank of of jokes on the shelf, kind of thing, and um, look out for opportunities to use it in the future, and you know. Uh, it's funny you should say that because that has absolutely uh, been the case where we'll have jokes that we absolutely love and there's just no space for it. And um, on uh, the last show I was on, we actually had a, a whiteboard we would, where we would uh, put the jokes on to like remind ourselves and uh, just almost never used any of them. <laughs> really? Then we got, like, yeah, then just because every show and every situation is so unique and specific. And uh, I think... When we uh, got to the last few episodes of the run, we figured, all right, it's now or never for these. And we uh, tried to get as many in as we could. But, um, you know, a lot of, you know, I would say well over 90 percent of uh, jokes that we love and makes the whole room crack up uh, that don't fit in the script. We just have to say goodbye to. And, you know, that's not the end of the world. There's, you know, every joke that you lose, there's 10 more where that came from. So, uh, look forward, not backwards. I guess. <laughs> God, I almost want. Yeah, you know, I almost want that um, cutting room floor um, joke book to sort of come out and appear somewhere. You know, it's almost a shame to leave 
great material just sort of lingering around or written on a whiteboard. Um, yeah, I hear you. I mean, definitely with shows that I enjoy, I love to watch um, deleted scenes or any hint of like a some scrap of some brilliant idea. Um, although in many cases, maybe you're better off not seeing how the sausage is made and uh, <laughs> yeah. the scenes start to show a bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you, you're probably right. So, you know, the brands such as like Patagonia or... Um, you know, brands that are more sustainable or environmentally friendly and, and that kind of stuff. Why, why do you think their brand stories seem to sort of emotionally resonate with a general audience um, more than just a, you know, a, a big corporate bank or, or, or whatever? Um, well, I think that, you know, the story that they tell um, is, is something that people – can sort of grasp onto and say, well, if they have this uh, noble mission, uh, I want to be part of a noble mission too. Uh, so I'll, I'll cast my lot with them. And um, I think they do, you know, a successful job of um, making themselves feel like, um, like sort of, you know, like they have personalities mm -hmm. and they're almost characters in their own right. Yeah. And, some brands are sort of more brave than others. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some brands will literally just tell true stories with people who work in the business and that kind of stuff. But others are more creative, so they actually use fiction to amplify a true story. For you, how do you maintain the authenticity of uh, a story? Um, what's Where's the balance for you in terms of an authentic true story and an authentic fictional story that sort of represents the point you're trying to make. <laughs> does that, does that make any sense? You know, is, is it, is it the fiction element? Is that just a powerful tool that you've just got to be brave enough to use? Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, definitely, uh, in, in fiction, you can embellish what is as, uh, kernel like a universal truth mm -hmm. and um take it to more uh exciting or dramatic places um but as long as it feels like it is coming from a grounded uh relatable um place then i, I think it can be successful yeah so you keep it just keep it relatable like you were saying earlier Mm-hmm. okay cool so michael when did you first realize the sort of power of story and sort of start to gravitate towards you know becoming a, a writer was there a sort of memorable moment in time or is it just something that sort of happened over a longer period well i definitely uh, grew up watching a lot of tv so that uh, <laughs> uh played no small role in it um i think you know when i i got into college and started to look more seriously about where my passions were um, and, you know, like I mentioned, I joined a humor magazine where uh, I was constantly surrounded by other people who uh, had a love of story and uh, humor and just being in a room with all these other people who we could bounce ideas off of each other. We sort of, um, I don't know, in, in my case, at least I was definitely inspired and encouraged by the people around me um, to take a stab at attempting it professionally. And, you know, the more I've dug into it, the more fun it's been. I mean, I feel just so, uh, 
you know, blessed to be able to have a job where I can go into a room every day and try to make people laugh and uh, tell stories. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your advice for people trying to achieve what you've achieved? Um, well, I mean, this is sort of common advice, but I'd say like the more uh, you write, the better you'll get. I uh, certainly uh, went through um, a long phase of writing scripts that uh, if I read them now, I uh, just totally cringe. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, at the time I figured, how come no one's giving me jobs off of these scripts? But now... <laughs> If I were to read them, I would say, oh, it's because they're terrible. Um, so I think there's a, an element of getting all the bad stories out of your system to sort of refine your instincts. Um, and also, the more stories you've tried, the more prepared you'll be the next time you try a similar story. Um, I'd say it's also uh, helpful to expose yourself to as many different types of stories as possible, uh, especially uh, books or shows that are outside of your wheelhouse. Um, so, you know, I'm not uh, the biggest fan of, say, horror, but I think it's good to watch uh, or read some horror to broaden my horizons creatively. You know, a lot of story is instinct, and you can only strengthen that by experiencing a lot of uh, media and thinking about what about them works and what uh, doesn't work. Uh, plus, you have more things that you can steal ideas from. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, do you just are you one of these guys who carries a notebook and a pen around everywhere and has ideas in random places and that kind of stuff, or do you leave it all in the room kind of stuff? For, you know, is it? Um, I have a lot of friends who've carried the notebook. Um, I have tried it, and I. It was not quite for me. I always feel too much pressure about, oh, should I write this down? Or is, is it worth, like, reaching in my pocket? Or does that make the idea feel too big? Um, so I have had more success just staring at a blank um, document and um, working that way. But I definitely think it's helpful to look around you and if you see a funny exchange at the coffee shop, um, make a mental note of it and... Uh, you know, I think the more rooted in the world around you things are, the the more true they ring. So, yeah, I, I guess it's find your own way, basically, isn't it? You know, which possibly isn't doesn't sound particularly helpful, but it, it comes down to, yeah. you know, it's true, isn't it? You know, it's however you work best yourself, you've got to find it. But, um, Michael, do you know, like, you, you know the sort of dynamics and structure of um, TV and, and film. Has that ruined watching films for you? Um, it's definitely affected them, and also probably it's affected them for my wife, who uh, is forced to listen to me complain about the, why the movie we both watched doesn't have like perfect story structure. Um, <laughs> but do you, do you ruin the ending for her as well? <laughs> um, I do my best not to. Um, I don't know if I'd say it ruined it, but. I definitely will find that part of my brain turning on um, in a way that I hadn't before. Just, you know, I'm actively looking to see how uh, how are they going to get out of this one? How did they structure the story? And um, But at the same time, like, I really enjoy a lot of things that are structured differently or uh, approach the narrative in a way that isn't the same way I would approach it. Um, it takes all kinds and there's, you know, no, I think that if you're didactic about, um, a story has to check off all these boxes in order to be good. I, I think you're going to lose out on a lot of things that can work. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. So are you, 
Are you still surprised quite a lot of the time, or is that a sort of is that quite rare now? You know, is, do you watch a movie ten minutes in and you're like, oh god, I, I know exactly what's going to happen here right the way through? Um, I think there's still a lot of uh, surprises out there. I mean, there are a lot of very talented writers and directors and producers out there. Mm-hmm. If I'm watching a bad movie, I'll probably know what'll happen. <laughs> but I mean, I would say that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess so. But um, you know, the more I look into story structure and um, the more I read about it and talk to experts uh, such as yourself, you know, I'm definitely on the lookout and like, ah, oh, I think this is going to happen. You know, and I'm definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely right more now than that I used to be. Uh, and right, you definitely. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's you, you can you start to see the sort of commonalities or the the, the structure coming through. Um, definitely, you'll see all of the sort of um, you know end of second act, all is lost moment, um, and like oh, this is similar to how they did this in this other one, and um, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just interested because I find a different part of my brain analyzing and sort of an inner monologue in my head, like, oh, okay, I wonder. Da, 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 da. And sometimes mm-hmm. I wish I could just turn it off, frankly, and just just enjoy enjoy the film, you know. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. <laughs> so um, you can't tell us too much about what you're working on now, but in terms of um, ambition and sort of aspiration, Michael, what's what's left for you? What would you really love to get your teeth into? Uh, well, right now I have um, uh, a show of my own in development at DreamWorks, which I also can't talk about. Um, I think it would be really fun to um, run my own show and sort of control the direction of it. Um, yeah, I enjoy writing for movies as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stories left to be told, and um, it's as like I said, every day that I can go into a room and uh, try to make people laugh and somehow get paid for it, I I feel very fortunate. Oh, abs- absolutely, absolutely, fantastic. Well, before um, before we wrap up, uh, Michael, um, can you tell us where people can find out a little bit more about you and just follow your progress and and dig into more of what you've done, maybe? And is there anything you want to um, draw our audience's attention to? Uh, sure, you're welcome to um, check out my uh, LinkedIn page, I guess. If you want to see things I've worked on, um, you're, feel free to message me through that. Uh, Michael Yank. Um, I was on Twitter, but I haven't posted since 2012. So <laughs> you're welcome. I was an early adopter and quickly abandoned it. Uh, you're welcome to check it out. Maybe uh, the day you check will be the day I decide to get back on it. Um <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, the the last show I was on that um, I can talk about is on Netflix as a kids show called Dawn of the Crudes, but adults will like it too. It's very dark for a kids show. Um, and the show I'm working on now will also be on Netflix um, sometime early 2018. So I guess when it's 2018, just keep uh, refreshing Netflix until you see a show with uh, my name in the credits. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, maybe uh, let us know when it's out. I can update the show notes. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that'd be cool. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Michael. I really appreciate your time uh, and the, the insights you've brought to the audience. So th- thanks so much. No, thank you so much, Ryan. This was really great. Fantastic. So that's it for another week, guys. Join me next time for more pearls of story-based wisdom from another storytelling expert. But that's it for this week.